Maybe God wants to reinforce some understanding, reinforce truth, that we might all learn to walk in the things that he's doing in the church. And we're continuing our series, Knowing God, and I was given the, uh, the name of God, which is Jehovah Jireh. And I thought, brilliant, because that's the only one I remember. Um, and the reason I remember it is because, in my mind anyway, it went Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. So where it rhymes, it really helped me. And so I thought, God, I've got it. I know I'm going to preach on, I know I'm going to do. And so you begin looking into the words and looking into names, and then you realize God has something completely different in mind than you ever imagined. And when we look at the name provider, God's name Jehovah Jireh kind of encapsulates that, but it's not all. There's more. And so we're going to look at what more there is in God. And it, it just strikes me that we have to be very careful that we don't create God in our image. We don't create God according to our understanding of who he is and say, well, God, this is who you are and this is what I want you to be, and therefore that's what it is. But we have to be open to the Lord to come and reveal himself to us in new ways and to really reveal who he is. And when John introduced this series a few weeks ago, part of his encouragement to us was that when we talk about knowing God, we're not talking about a list of facts. So that by the end of this, you know all the, uh, the Hebrew names and then you can spout off what they mean in English and you look very impressive and think, people think much of you. Um, it's not about that. It's about, when the Bible talks about knowing, the Bible talks about something intimate. And to be honest with you, when he talks about it in terms of husband and wife, they, they know each other, if you get what I mean. They know each other. And, but it's not just that. It's an intimacy. It's coming together. And it's a oneness. It's an understanding. And so when we talk about knowing God, we're not just talking about, these are my list of facts about God. But it's about, I know him. Because there are many people, and I quite like, do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, I know him, or I know her. What about celebrities? Oh, I know them, but you don't know them, you know? You don't know them. You don't really know what they're like, their character, what they're going to do in any given situation. Whereas when you actually know someone, you know what's going to make them happy, what's going to make them sad. You know um, what they're going to be like. Recently, um, it was our wedding anniversary, 13 years so and by now you'd think I know my wife and I thought we're gonna this is why I wasn't here last week I thought we'd go away for a nice uh surprise weekend away and thought I was I was gonna book it and I just felt this felt this kind of check in my spirit to not book this thing I was like god it's a good deal I'm gonna book it and and I went home and I said to and next day I said to Louisa I just, I was going to do this and book us a weekend. And she was like, well, I would have liked to have been consulted on this and known about some of these things. And she said, you know I don't like surprises. And so at that point I was like, thank you, Jesus. He didn't let me book it because if I'd booked it, I would have been really in trouble. We're growing in knowing one another. But Lord, in his love for us, wants to be known he wants you and I to know him, not facts, but relationship. And when we talk about the names of God, 
it's about his character, who he is, not a name. And just, just made a little note because when Darren was talking about the sucker and the thing um, Damola was saying about as well, that actually if we have a wrong belief about God, it's a sucker. It will drain you of truth. It will drain you of life. And so what we want to do is come to this place where we know him and from that comes life and not death. Because there is great importance in the scriptures about names. Now, even on an earthly level, I know when I, with my children, names were always very important to me and I wanted to name them well. Particularly when you've got a surname like Bull, you have to be careful. Like, if we wanted a girl, we did think about calling her Isabella, but Isabella Ball didn't sound very good. Um, names like Crystal wouldn't have gone very well. Um, <coughs> and then you look at some of the meanings of certain names and, and you just feel sorry for people who are called by that name. But So we called our firstborn... It was a, a toss-up between Joshua and Thomas. And, I, and just as he was born... I, took, I seized the moment. Louisa was quite out of it because of drugs. And so I took that moment to name him. And as he came out, I said, it's Joshua Thomas. Boom. And Joshua means the salvation of the Lord. It's the same root word as Jesus, actually. And Zachary means God remembers. Samuel means God hears. And I always wanted them to have good names, that also people they look up to in the Bible. Some people don't always think this far ahead. I worked with one guy. His name was Ricochet. <laughs> and when I, if you didn't know, I used to work in investment banks. And there was one guy, in one of the, he was a top guy in one of the banks, and his name was Richie Rich. And you just think... And I read about another person, and their parents called him Christopher Philip Bacon. Chris B. Bacon. And... And you kind of just wonder, you wonder, what were they thinking? <laughs> Hopefully you haven't been given an unfortunate name this morning. But God gives thought to names. And not just to his own name, because he wants us to know who he is, but he gives thoughts to names. And, and one of the, the person we're going to be looking at today is a guy called Abraham. And Abraham wasn't always called Abraham. And originally, he was called Abram. Now, does anyone know what Abram means? It means father. And so, the passage we're going to look at, we're going to start off in, is in Genesis, Genesis 22. And so, named by God, Abram, father. And that will make more sense as we push on a little bit. I'm going to do this. Have you ever watched? TV programs where it starts with a really dramatic scene and then after a little bit it says one week previously or something like that. I, we're going to do that today where we start with a dramatic scene and then go 26 years previously. Um, because if we read it says after these things, this is in verse 1 of chapter 22, after these things God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. Good. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, this is a story of the Bible that is quite bizarre. And if we look at it with our, 
our physical eyes, it makes no sense. It's that, can you imagine being a pastor and one of your, your flock comes to you and says, yeah, God spoke to me today. He said, I need to take my child and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. What would you do? I think you'd call the, the special people and locked up because that's just not something you think would happen. But God tells this to Abraham and Abraham goes, okay, let's do it. He rises early in the morning. He doesn't tell his wife where he's going because if you're ever planning to sacrifice your child, telling your wife is not a good idea. <laughs> but he goes off to the mountain, takes his son and they hike and they go and they, uh, they go up to this mountain. I'm giving you a brief version at the moment. And at one point, the son goes, Dad, we've got the wood, we've got everything, but we haven't got a sacrifice. He realizes something is missing, and Abraham says, don't worry about it. It's all going to be provided for. And they came to the place where they were going to make the sacrifice, and he makes the, the altar. He puts his son upon the altar. And then he raises his knife ready to kill his son. Could you do that? Could you do it for anyone, let alone the son who you loved? Could you do it? No, I couldn't. <laughs> but let's go back 26 years and we'll see what brought Abraham to the place where he could do this. If we go back into Genesis chapter 15... And the backstory of Abraham is that Abraham was born in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is kind of there's some it's kind of uh, east of Jerusalem, uh, quite wide, quite east, perhaps in Iraq area, Iran area, and and they come out of this place, and God calls him and his family to travel to this promised land, and He gives them this wonderful promise in chapter 15, verse five. He says, and he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. He's given him this promise of a great and mighty inheritance of nations as numerous as the stars. What a promise to have being given to you by God. But there was a small problem. Abraham had no children. And if you know the story, you realize that Abraham is no spring chicken. He's getting quite on in age. And his wife is also quite old as well. And so they've got this problem. They're old, his wife is barren, but yet they have this promise of God that they're going to have this great inheritance of the nation's many descendants like the stars. I don't know if you've ever had a promise given to you by God. And when you look at it, you think, there's just no way this is going to happen. There's no way this can happen. It's practically impossible. And that's the situation Abraham and Sarah found themselves in. They wanted to believe God. They wanted to believe this promise. But they looked at what they had and said, it's just not going to happen. So often when we come in this situation, we, we think, I know, I've got a good idea. And they had this good idea. If you move on into verse six, uh, chapter 16, 
It says, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had a female servant, Egyptian servant, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, Abraham, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. You know what? We we get faced with this possible situation and we think, I've got a good idea how we can sort this out. It's not perfect, but it's going to work, you know? And so Sarah says, go and take Hagar, she's my servant. It was quite a custom in those days, nothing out of the ordinary in many respects, and, but she can have this child. And so Abraham went, yeah, sure, why not? It had a real echo when I read this. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, where Eve says to Adam, you know, we're not going to die, eat the fruit. What's going to go wrong? Adam goes, all right then. Men, let's not be so fickle, you know. So he went and he slept with Hagar and they, she conceived and bore a son and his name was Ishmael. And God was not happy because this was not what God had planned. In this moment, we wonder, who is God to them? How do they see God? In that moment where they're faced with impossibilities, with difficulties, who is God to them in that moment? And so ask yourself the same question. When you are faced with a difficulty, when you're faced with your problems, who is God to you in that moment? Because we've been hearing about God, good, good Father. Nothing is impossible for you. You are faithful. We hear it all. But in that moment, who is God to you? Is he... Jehovah, whatever it may be, the God who makes mistakes? Is he the God who miscalculated? Is he the God who needs a hand? I don't see those names anywhere in Scripture because that is not who he is. But in that moment, we can think that way. And that's the sucker that is going to suck the life of God out of you. Because if we don't understand who God is, And if we treat him as somebody else, if we treat him as a man, if we treat him as a deficiency, and that was the thing, all the gods, you get the Roman gods, the Greek gods, they were powerful, but they all had these glaring issues. That's not a god. And our god is not that. And so we look at the fruit of their decision, and that was Ishmael. You know, in John chapter 15, it talks to us about abiding in the vine. And as you abide in the vine, you produce fruit according to the vine. You don't have to strain to try fruit, to, to bear fruit. You just drink and, and produce. And that is the call of God to us as believers, that we abide in the vine and produce fruit. And the fruit that we produce is fruit that lasts. It's eternal fruit. God talks about that day when he talks about the things that are burnt up, the wood, hay, and the stubble. And he talks about the things that will will last. And that's the precious things, the gold. And the gold comes out of abiding in the vine. If you think, if you chop that branch off the vine and it begins to produce fruit where is that source 
coming from. It must be coming from somewhere other than the vine. It needs to find a different source. And so the fruit that it produces will be after that source. And so when we are producing anything outside of the power of God, then we're producing fruit that is not of God. And we see this here that they they thought, let's take this into our own hands. We'll do it our way. And they produce Ishmael. I don't really want to go into too much of, of this, but we see throughout history that ever since that point, there is a conflict between the people of God, the people of what comes from Isaac, and the people of Ishmael. They become the thorn in their side. And our fruit that is produced outside of God can become a thorn in our side. That God is faithful. You know? Has anyone here messed up? Yeah? Does anyone here need a second chance? Yeah. And God will come and he'll say, okay, take two. Let's try this again. And so we go again into Genesis chapter 17, verse 5. And this comes, this is 13 years after um, Ishmael's born. God's like, okay. Let's try this again. And he comes with this first promise. He says, No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham. So he was called Abraham, which means father. And then God said, Okay, let's do this again. I'm going to call you Abraham. Do you know what Abraham means? Father of many. So either God has just got a cruel sense of humor, or he's saying, My purposes are going to be more for you now. I'm going to do something new. You need to get this in your head. His promise was in that name that he's going to be a father of many. And maybe God sometimes will come and he'll reiterate something and he's asking, will you believe the thing I'm telling you? Will you believe it even when you do not see it? Even when the circumstances seem like an impossibility, will you believe it? And so he had the promise. And we go on then into verse 19 of chapter 17. He said, God said no, because he said no to Ishmael. This is not the son. He said no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. So even at this point, he's even named the son for him. And this is 13 years after Ishmael was born. Things were bad when Ishmael was born. They were, they, they were, they were not in a good place when Ishmael was born physically. 13 years later, it's even worse. Things are even worse in their bodies. It's even more impossible than it was. Something was impossible, now it's more impossible. I don't know how that works. And so the problem, in a sense, was still there. Their flesh was just not up to it. But there's a, there's a scripture, and I love it, and it's been kind of in our, in our midst for a while And I just love it because it says, has he not said, will he not do? And when we are faced with these problems, when we're faced with these impossibilities, this is the question we must ask ourselves. Has he not said, will he not do? Because if God has said it, he will do it. Amen? Anyone excited about that? Good. And so we move on into Genesis chapter 21. 
And it says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. The Lord came, the Lord did it. And we can look at this, our situations, and think, how is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? But the Lord did it. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And Sarah was pregnant with Isaac, and she gave birth to Isaac. And this is a point where we can begin to see the fruit of that is Isaac, the promised one. This is one through all the generations are going to be blessed. This is the line of Christ to come, the Messiah to come later on. This is the promise. Imagine that, that you've been given a wonderful promise by God and then one day, whether it's figuratively or literally, you hold it in your hands and go, this is the promise. And maybe he did that, the kind of the Lion King moment where he took his child and held it up and went, this is, my, this is the promise, this is my Isaac. This is the one we've been waiting so long for and the one that God is going to fulfill all of his promises through. Wonderful. Not only does he have the son through his wife, the son who he loves, but the son who is going to be the fulfillment of the promise of God. So imagine that day, then God says to him, okay, take that son and sacrifice him. Not only is he calling him to sacrifice this child that he loves, but he's asking him to sacrifice the child that is the fulfillment of the promise. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, does it? If it makes sense to anyone. But it doesn't make sense when we look at it with our flesh, when we look at it with our natural eyes. And sometimes you will have a promise from God, you will have a word from God, and it won't make sense. Don't let that stop you. Because we often, we want it to make sense. We want to know, oh, this and this and this works sense. And we're going to do this and this is going to happen. And it's all going to be wonderful. But it doesn't work like that. Because God says, he he sees things in ways that we don't see. He thinks in a way that we don't think. And I wonder, are we so constrained by our physical eyes We live in a scientific age, and the scientific age tells us, unless you can see it, unless you can touch it, unless you can prove it, then it doesn't exist. That is what we're told. That is what you've probably been told all of your life. Um, That is what our children are being told. And what that does, it completely removes the realm of the spiritual. And we say, if I can't understand it, then it can't be true. And God is saying, will you trust me even when you don't understand. And this is a point that God has brought Abraham to in this moment. And he didn't bring him to this point on day one. And maybe God's taken you on a journey, he's taken me on a journey, so I trust he's taking you too. And the thing he asked you on day one may be something quite simple. So originally he said, leave your, leave your home. He said, just move somewhere else. And then he built it up and he built it up and he built it up. And through Abraham's experience of God, seeing God at work, seeing God faithful, seeing how God will fulfill the things that he said he can do, 
he brings him to this point where when God says to him, sacrifice this son, he's like, all right. Jim, you, you prayed it, didn't you? You said, bring us to that point where Peter said, what else have I got to do? Where else can I go? And God wants to bring us to that place in faith where we say, I've got no other option but to do what God has said. And not because I understand it, not because it suits me, not because I like it, but I just know it's the right thing. I know that he will do what he has said he will do even when I cannot see it. So Abraham got to this point. And he's about to lift the knife. It says in verse 10, he took the knife to slaughter his son. This is in 22. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing You have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. It says in Hebrews that Abraham had this belief that Isaac would be raised from the dead. I don't know if that was kind of a a fable passed down through time or if it was truly his intention. And sometimes we can come to these things with God and we we have our own theories. When God says, I'm going to do something, we think, oh, God's going to do it this way. God often likes to do it the opposite way just to show us that he isn't constrained by our our mind. And it's not bad that Abraham had his theory that that God was going to raise up Isaac, and it's wonderful that he had the faith that that was even possible. But ultimately what he knew is that the promise of God will be fulfilled. And he didn't have to work out how. He just had to do the thing God told him to do. So think about that for yourself. What is the thing God is telling you? And are you thinking, but how? How is it going to happen? How are you going to do it? What's going to be the way? What's going to be the means? How is it all going to come from? Or are you going to come to the point where you just go, okay, I'll do it. Because often with, when God speaks something like that, he gives us a step to take. And it's a first step. Maybe it's the first brick you're laying that God will give us. And so, where he gave this name Jehovah Jireh, it has this idea of provision that God provided the ram instead for the sacrifice. But the ultimate meaning of Jehovah Jireh is, 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 the the ultimate, we can edit that bit, the ultimate meaning of Jehovah Jireh is the God who sees to it. The God who sees to it. 
And God's saying, you know what? I'll see to it. Have you ever had someone you're in a restaurant and they're going to pay? I'll see to it. It's nice. <laughs> this week, we were blessed with a free HelloFresh box, which was wonderful. If you've ever had HelloFresh, they deliver a box to your door. And we actually came home and it was on the doorstep. And it's got in it three meals that are all in bags and everything proportioned accurately so you don't have, you, so every, like the little spices, you just pour the spice in. Everything is there in its set. Someone's seen to it for me. I don't have to worry. I didn't have to pay for it, which is brilliant. And I didn't have to kind of work it all out. I didn't have to go to the shop. I didn't have to work out the proportions. It's all there in a bag. I open the bag, cook it. It was seen to me. I didn't even have to cook it. Louisa cooked it. Brilliant. <laughs> it was seen to by someone else. And God is asking, do you see me? God is saying to us, I am the one who is going to see to the things that need to be seen to in your life. God wants to, God wants to bring us to this knowledge of himself so that we may have absolute faith in him. He wants you to come to this place where you know him in this way, so that as you follow him, you can have absolute faith in him. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 10, 2, sorry, there's no chapter 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. You're, you're, you're created by him. Created in Christ Jesus. What for? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he's saying God has created you and you're a, a, his workmanship, his masterpiece. But he didn't just create you to, to put you over the mantelpiece. But he created you for good works. If you've ever wondered, what am I here for? Here is the answer to your existence. You have been created by God for good works. And not just any good works, but good works that he prepared for you. So he's gone before you, before the foundation of the earth. He said, right, I know what I want you to do. And I'm preparing it for you. In the same HelloFresh way, he's prepared it for you. He's given you everything you need, every provision, every measure that you need, so you just take it and do it. He has prepared that for you. And so... This is the purpose of your life. Let that sink in. This is the purpose of my life, to do the works of God that he has prepared for me. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So if God has prepared a good work for you, there should be nothing that can stop it. But I tell you, there is one thing that can stop it, and that is you. It's the only one who can stop it. The devil can't stop it. 
Your husband and wife can't stop it. The only person who can stop it is you. And so we can look to other people and start blaming them. But you know what? If you submit yourself to God and obey him, then no one will be able to stop you doing the thing that God has called you to do. Amen? But there are things that stop us. There are things that are suckers that drain the life out of us so we don't do the thing that God wants us to do. So what are they? Matthew 6 breaks it down so very simply. And this is such a common verse that we hear again and again. But I wonder, do we get it? Do we really believe it? Sometimes we talk about, you know, we want new teaching, deep teaching. Let's get the basics right. It says in, sorry, Matthew 6, I mean John. I wonder what that one says. Look at that. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added up to you, added to you. He's been talking about these things. What are these things? He's talking about what you wear, what you eat, what you drink, where you live. He's talking about your job, where you, how you're going to get paid, all those kind of things. And these are the things that will stop us. These are the things that will come in and suck the life out of you. Because if your mind is always on these things, then you never have your mind on the works of God that Christ has prepared for you. Your focus is always on those things instead of these things. And that's not what God has called you for. I was reminded this morning, I was just walking down, and I was, because we're to follow God in a certain way. I used to work up on Euston Road. And if you know Euston Road up in London, it's a, it's a really busy road. It's like lanes of traffic. And I used to walk. To, when we left work, I used to leave work with this uh, lady I worked with. We used to walk to Euston Station. And as we walked along, she never looked when we crossed the road. She, if I walked, she would walk. And I was like, you're crazy. It's like, look for yourself. But she just, I don't know if it was stupidity or trust. <laughs> you know? But she, I crossed the road, she would cross the road. But there's a picture there that we're called to walk in that faith in Christ that we don't have to look at the traffic because if he's walking that path, and you know what Jesus said? He said, I only do the things I see my father doing. Amen. And so he was walking, if you think in that picture, he was walking with his father. He didn't have to worry about that because he was thinking what the father's doing, I'm doing. So if the father is walking this way, then I'm going to walk this way. I don't have to worry what's over there or over there. I just need to walk with him. And God is calling us to walk in that way. But this is also about our provision. And God will provide everything you need for this life. At times, it can be people. God will provide the right person at the right time. Maybe it's maybe it's needs, maybe it's clothing, maybe it's housing, whatever it might be. God will provide the thing that you need.
but you have to get it the right way round. You have to seek first the kingdom of God. Put the kingdom of God first. His righteousness, walking rightly with him. And then he'll provide everything. All of your needs. What he says, just ask. He says, ask and you'll receive. But do we just see the problems? You look in scripture and he said to the disciples, feed this 5,000. And they looked at the problem. They said, well, we haven't got much. It's going to be a lot of money, Jesus, you know. He said, well, what have you got? Five loaves, two fishes, done. That's enough. We can't just look at the problem. Because if we look at the problem, we take our eyes off the one who's going to provide everything we need. I want to be aware as well that this applies to the most important thing as well, which is our salvation. In this picture where Abraham was going to sacrifice his son and God provided a ram in its place. It's that wonderful picture of salvation. And we can be in a danger to say, I need to count my salvation myself. I need to do enough to please God, to make him accept me. But he, it's not going to work. And it doesn't need to work because he said, I've seen to it. I'm the God who's seen to it. I provided a ram for Abraham, but I provided my son for you. Yeah? He provided his son for you because you couldn't do it. Because if God had said to you, right, you need to work your way into my good books, you could have tried all you wanted, but you'd never have succeeded. It was a, a situation faced with impossibility. But God said, I will make it possible. I will see to this impossibility and make it possible by sending my son to take your place. For him to do the impossible thing that you could never do, and now you just need to walk in it. Amen? Amen. Because again, I realize this in my own life. If we spend so much of our life trying to earn our salvation... We miss out on doing the works that God has told us to do because we're just too busy trying to do things that he hasn't told us to do. And I spent so much of my time just trying to please God. We must please God, but hear what I'm saying in a wrong way because we're saying, God, if I do this, will you love me? Will you accept me? He's like, I already love you and accept you. Now get on with it. So what areas is God calling you to trust him with? What areas is God calling you to trust him with? Because the thing that he's calling you today can release you to the thing that he's going to call you to tomorrow. There are things in my life that God has spoken over me that I think, that's important. I just think, I have no idea how that could ever happen. It is not in my ability to make that happen. I cannot do it. 
And that's a wonderful place to be because then I can say, okay, if God wants it to happen, God's going to do it. Sometimes our dreams are too small because we keep them to the things that we can do and so we don't really need God at all. But there are things that God is calling us to do and we are in that position like where Abraham and Sarah said, take Hagar and they were trying to manufacture the outworking of the promise of God. And I believe some people maybe this morning... God has said something to you. He said, I'm going to do this. And you're trying to work it out in your own strength, in your own might, and in your flesh. And God is saying, take your hands off of it. Take your hands off of it. Because you're just getting in the way. It's never going to come to fulfillment if you don't take your hands off of it. God is calling us to a first step. And you know, the most important thing is about knowing him. That's why I go right back to the beginning. And we were reading this week where David is giving this uh, kind of great speech for Solomon about all the mighty things he's going to do. But the very first thing he says that he wants for Solomon is to know God. Because if you do all these other things without first knowing God, you'll be walking in legalism and you're just going to burn out. But if you first know God, then walking with him is easy. And walking and knowing go hand in hand because as you step out in faith in a small way, you get to know him. Because he shows himself to you. And what are the small things, maybe? And it's interesting as well, because what might be small for you, well, what might be small in my eyes might be massive in your eyes. And that's why when we think about how could Abraham sacrifice his son? For him, maybe it was just a small thing, because God had done things in his past that took him to that place. And I know in my life, when God called me to leave my job, to come and work for the church. It was a massive thing. But God showed me, even before that point, you can trust me, you can trust me, I'll take care of you, I'm going to do it, I will see to it. And so by the time I got to it, and people are saying, well, what about your family? And I love you guys, but even you guys, you were like, but what about your family? God's going to see to it. I'm going to seek the kingdom of God. I'm going to be obedient to his call and God will take care of them. What about your home? What about this? What about that? You know, you can worry and think and try and understand it all. I heard a great testimony this week about money as well. That God's saying, will you give to me first fruits? Or do we give him out? We've had this recently. We give him like this spare change of our pocket, you know? But money, it's not about money. It's not about, it's about trusting. The whole thing about first fruits was about, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Because again, you get to that place, and this was a testimony we heard this week, that someone's trying to pay off debt, and it wasn't getting paid off. They stopped tithing so they could pay off debt. And it didn't get paid off. It, kept, it wasn't getting paid off. And only when 
They gave to God what God was due. God was like, okay, now I'm going to move. It doesn't make sense. You've got so many needs. You've got so many wants and desires. The best thing to do is just store up and spend everything you can on yourself. That's what makes sense, doesn't it? God says, give and it will be given unto you. Give. The ways of the kingdom are different from the ways of man. I haven't got time for that. No, if you think in the ways of man, no, there isn't enough time to do this because you've got to do that. But you know, sometimes when you do the thing that God has told you to do, that thing takes care of itself. Or God says someone else to do that. What about your family? Family's a tough one because that's where really rubber hits the road. But will you trust God with your family? Or are our hands so tightly upon them that we have to control it. And I, I'm of that mindset. It's like, well, if I don't do it, no one will. But if we have that mindset, we are not trusting in him as the one who will, who is going to see to it. It's, in none of these things does it mean we're, we're careless. We're not being careless. But we just don't have to hold it tightly. We say, here you go, Lord. We hold it in an open hand. Or our work. I felt that word maybe for someone here today that are you trusting God with your work? Because you know what? It's God who provides for you. Your boss is not the one who provides for you. They are just a vehicle of God. And if God wants to change that vehicle, he will. We are not beholden to man, but we are beholden to God. We are called to obey God. So if God is saying to you, move, move. Because if you're not doing what he is saying, then it's going to quench the life of God in you. And if you're thinking, but I've got bills to pay. God will take care of that. If that's what he's telling you to do, God will take care of that. He'll see to it. Do you think he doesn't know you've got bills to pay? Do you think he was like, oh man, I forgot about that. <laughs> no. Oh. If I can leave you with anything, it's this. Get to know him. Get to know him. We get to know him by being in his presence, spending time with him, by reading his word, by being with other believers. All of these things help to get to know him by stepping out in faith. We get to know him because the more you know him and it will grow, because I know someone said to me, oh, I, wish I, I wish I could have faith like you. So I've been a Christian like 25 years. More than that, 27 years. It's like, and they're, they're like two years old in faith. And you'd hope that a 27-year-old will know God a bit better than a two-year-old. You'd hope. It's not always the case. But we should be maturing in our faith. And we should know God in a way. Because I know when I left my job, and I, I kind of went to a few people and I said, what, what do I do? How, how do I do it? You know, and they went, oh, you'll be all right. And you're like, that's not what I wanted to know. I want a plan. I want it written down. But what they were saying is, God's got it. That's what they said, God's got it. Just do what he's telling you. God's got it. 
And when we step out in faith, they knew God in a way I didn't know him at that time. But now I know him in a way and I get what they were saying. But because I did it. If I hadn't done it, I wouldn't know him in that way. And so God is saying, I want you to know me in a way, but you've got to step out to know him in that way. You've got to do that thing. Release that thing. Take your hands off that thing and trust him. And when you do, he is going to lead you in life. And there will be moments and you'll look back and I've looked back over my life and I think, I don't know how. I can't explain it. But I know he's seen me through. I know he's had me at all times. He has never left me nor forsaken me. And when you put yourself in the hands of God, he will be that for you also. Amen.